Good evening, New Genesis Christian Worship Center, and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. My name is Damien. It's a pleasure to be with you all once again to study the Word of God. So excited about tonight's study as we're getting into a brand new chapter. That's right. We are in Romans chapter 9. So excited. I hope that you enjoyed the lessons that we did thus far in our study in the book of Romans as we have been learning about the sin nature and how God has uh, promised to be there with us and to give us the ability to walk in victory. And so we're just going to continue on learning more about our, our nature. We're going to continue to learn more about how God uh, is there to help us and, and, and how we can walk and live a life of victory. So before we get started, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you this evening for us to gather together to study your word. I thank you, O oh God, that you have called us to this place. And I thank you, O oh God, that you're going to speak volume to us in our hearing, O oh God. I pray tonight that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will move mightily in our Bible study, that you will lead us to all truth. Give us strength in our bodies and our minds, O oh God, and help us to be free from any distraction, that we may hear your voice clearly in what you have to say. Father God, I ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's just go ahead and dive right into tonight's study. So like we do every single week, we always do a recap so that we can um, be prepared to move on in our study. And last week, we looked at verses 36 through 39. And one of the things that we talked about was how Psalms chapter 44 verse 22 relates to us. And when we look at that particular text, uh, we can see clearly that God wants us to be in a position where we are dying to our flesh and that we must allow him to move mightily in our life. So God has done great things for his people. We, we have seen that throughout the scripture. And no one can ever say that God has treated them unjustly, that God has not been there for them. But there are times when God will withdraw his hand, and he does that in order to help us and to protect us because of our nature. We understand that our fallen nature uh, is, is the cause of, of all wickedness in the earth. And as believers, even though we're saved and filled with the Holy Spirit, we have not received our glorified body. And there are times where the Spirit of God is trying to lead and guide us in another direction, and yet we are walking in disobedience. So there are those periods of times where God will withdraw his hand, and that is a chastisement, which means that that is, that is done so that it can bring us to correction. And we don't want to find ourselves in that situation. And God also, at times, withdraws his hand to help us in other areas. And all of this is, again, preparing us and, and conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ and also removes us depending upon ourselves for all things. So this is God doing a great work within us to bring us to the point where he desires for us to be. And so this is necessary at times because it allows us to be an overcomer. So in these moments, we are relying and depending upon the power and strength of God. Even in those moments of, of chastisement, and even in those moments where it may not even be chastisement, it just may be that this is necessary for us to grow in God. However the case may be, all of these things truly are working together for our good and because we love the Lord. And that's one of the things that we have to remember. Everything that God does as it relates to those who love him is never done from the position of, of, of just beating us down just to do things. It's always with a divine purpose and intention behind it. Now, if we start to stray away like Israel did, God will allow tribulation to come in our life. And the Bible likens that as to leaven. And the reason being is that these things have to be exposed. Because 
if they are not exposed, then our walk with the Lord will be tainted and we cannot do anything worthwhile for the Lord. That goes back to what Jesus said concerning himself being the vine and we are the branches. The idea is that all believers who truly love the Lord should be producing good fruit. Why? Because Jesus himself is good. And therefore, we are to produce after him. And so these are moments where things of this nature is necessary. And, and when we talk about experiencing victory, we can only experience that through the help and power of God. So we can only experience victory over every circumstance through God. Because if we can get the glory ourselves, then the idea is, why will we need God? And so when you think about everything that Paul has said concerning this, it always points back to God because in our, in our flesh, we are weak. In our flesh, there dwells no good thing. And so every circumstance, every situation can only be brought to victory through the power and might of God. God has promised victory for all believers because he loves us and we love him. This is a great promise that we have. If there are any believers who are saying that they have always lived a life of defeat, then what they're saying is, is that they have been depending upon their flesh. And we talked about what the flesh is. It is our, our weakness. It is who we are. It is our very nature that is corrupted, that is sinful. And in and, and it dwells no good thing. Even though we may see at times us doing good things, the idea behind it all is that if it's outside of God's divine will, then it is no good. But God promised us that he would give us victory as long as we love him, as long as we look to him, as long as we abide in him. And as we are walking in the likeness of Christ, we should be that example to others who are perishing so that they may see the, the testimony in the light of, our, uh, of our, how we live. And that should be a drawing mechanism to Christ. Even though God allows certain things to come to pass in our lives, those things will never destroy us. You will never find one instance in scripture where God has allowed something to happen, where it brought them to the, brought his people to the point of total destruction. And we're talking about those who are obedient to God. Now, we know God did bring judgment upon Israel for their disobedience. But in the context of what Paul was talking about, he is talking about all believers who are walking in obedience. And so, again, there are things that are going to happen in our life that are, that are designed by God to bring us to that expected end. And as we're going through those things, we have a promise from God that those things will not destroy us. So whatever it is that we, we may be facing, if we, are know, if we know without a shadow of a doubt that we are hearing the voice of God, we're walking according to his purpose and his divine will, then we know that those things that God has allowed to come in our life are not there to destroy us, but they are there to build us and grow us to another level in him. Because all of these things are necessary as we go out and evangelize. We have to be well-equipped to handle the very things of this world, especially the principalities and the powers and darkness that we cannot even see. And when we talk about the conquering upon last week, it does not suggest that we are delivered from those things, but rather uh, we did not allow those things to affect or destroy our testimony, but rather it strengthened them. So again, everything is done not for our demise, but for us to be strengthened so that then we can use that as a witness or as a drawing mechanism to those who do not know the Lord. So the idea Paul was getting at is that we should shift our minds to realize this very truth and this very principle, that everything has a divine purpose behind it, especially if we are walking according to the word of God. If we are walking in obedience, which means that as the Holy Spirit leads and guides us, we are saying yes to his voice. And even though we fall short, the, when the Holy Spirit is grieved, 
We instantly ask God for forgiveness, not for salvation all over again, but to ensure that our walk with him remains right. And we have talked about all that throughout our course in our Roman study. And so as, as again, we, we go and travel through these things, they are there to strengthen us so that we may be a, a stronghold or, or, or strengthen another. And when we talked about this particular phrase right here, where Paul says, for I am persuaded, that very phrase within itself tells us that everything that Paul was teaching, he himself was convinced of it. And that's the thing that we have to understand as believers. The word of God, it, it must be in our hearts so that we are convinced of it even though we may not fully understand everything, but the very fact that we have had a strong history with God, that should be a, a, a foundation to where whatever that we see written in the Bible, that we are convinced that it, it is based upon the truth. So when Paul says, I am persuaded, he is saying that the word of God, everything his relationship with him, his experiences that he has endured has stood the test to show that God himself was right, that God himself was just, and everything that God spoke was true. So Paul is saying that, you know, I have spent some time with God. I have been through a lot with him, and I am convinced that God truly is going to make good on his promises and that his word is something that I can trust in. And so tonight we're going to look at Romans chapter nine, studying the first five verses. And, and tonight's study is going to be centered around uh, what Paul said about Christ and, and the gospel. And what he said about it, he wanted to prove to the people that he was speaking to that these things did not come from his imaginations. And so when we look at the true gospel message and how it lines up with scripture, we can clearly see that it is always going to lift up God in every capacity and point out sin. So Paul was, 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 was telling the people, this gospel, this message that I'm bringing to you, this is not something that I came up with my own imagination, because if I did, it would fall in line with what you believe, and it will fall in line with everything else, the paganism, the paganism, and all these other things in the world. But Paul says, this gospel did not come from my own intellect, but rather it was based upon truth that was revealed to him by God. And so uh, you are, we're always going to have mockers in our midst. Even during Paul's day, they were accusing him of doing away with the scriptures, but the reason why they could not understand the scriptures and understand what Paul was saying was because they had veered away from God. They had took God out of the picture and replaced him with religion, replaced him with their own imaginations. But Paul is saying he was led by the Holy Spirit. And then Paul begins to grieve over Israel because he saw them turning away from God. And when we see others turning away from God, that is not the time for us to bicker and debate about whether or not they have lost their salvation or, or whether or not they were ever really saved. No, not that is not the time for us to do those things, but rather we should grieve within ourselves and seek God on their behalf. That we may pray that God will strengthen them, that God will help them to come back to him, that God will truly be the shepherd who is going after the sheep that is strayed away. And so there should not be this division within the church. And so, and so Paul is going to show us through scripture the example of, of how we should behave ourselves. And, and, and so as we go through these five verses tonight, we're truly going to see why men are always going to falsely accuse those who speak the truth, especially those who claim to be in the church. Because there are so many individuals who would rather go the route of living in the flesh than living for God, because living in the flesh puts the emphasis back on oneself and it lifts that person up. And, and so when we see all of these different things happening, a godly sorrow should come upon us. And we can clearly see, or we're going to see tonight, 
what you know what it means to be accursed by God because Paul is going to use that particular phrase to to appeal to God that you know he, he could he wish he could change his situation concerning his people and we're gonna we're gonna get into a little bit of what the name the Israelites mean and why at their inception the nation of Israel they experienced the presence of God. So if you got your Bibles open, turn with me to Romans chapter 9. Uh, I'm going to be reading from the King James Version. I know it says Romans chapter 8 here. I forgot to change that, but we are in Romans chapter 9. And we're going to start reading in verse number 1. Scripture says this. I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. So, okay, Paul starts this particular chapter off by saying that everything he said was not based upon fabrication, but in truth. He was speaking to the people to say, wait a minute. I know that some people are saying that I am guilty of changing the scriptures, but he says, in reality, I am not. Because everything that I've said has always pointed back to Christ. Because if he was telling a lie, then everything that he would have said would have pointed to oneself. It would have either lifted him up to some type of God status, or it would have placed the, placed the emphasis on doing works to obtain, to obtain righteousness and salvation. See, that's one of the things that people have to realize is that when someone is telling a lie and they claim that they're coming in the name of God, every their whole entire doctrine is always going to point one to the flesh. It is either going to lift up the person who is bringing the message and put them in a position like they are so wonderful that they have gotten this great revelation, that they are the true prophets of God, or it's going to place the emphasis on doing works to obtain righteousness and salvation. So Paul is saying here that he did not teach any form or fashion of, along the lines of those things. But rather what he was saying has always pointed back to the scriptures. It has always pointed back to Christ. It has always revealed to us that man within himself is weak and evil and sinful and, 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 and incapable of producing anything good. So Paul is saying, I do not lie. Because everything that I'm saying here is based upon the truth. And this is how we are to discern the times. Because the Bible has clearly told us in these last days, there are going to be these doctrines of devils. There are going to be these itching ears. There are going to be false Christs and all of these different things. There are going to be people, men and women, who are going to come and try to make merchandise of the church. All of these things God told us in his word. And we are seeing these things today. And so what happens is when someone who is anointed by the Holy Spirit stands up and preaches truth, then you will see the opposition. And Jesus said it best. The opposition is going to come because they hated him first. He was talking about the, the wickedness in the world. He was talking about the unsaved. But then also, too, you can even look at even the religious people, because look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Had the form of godliness but they denied the power thereof. So, so Paul is saying, I say the truth in Christ. He's saying, I do not lie. I am not telling a lie. So someone was coming and accusing him of, of pointing men away from the scriptures. He was like, that is not so, because if I did do that, then I would have been lifted up. Look at every single cult leader, every single person who has claimed to have some spiritual enlightenment and all of those different things. Look at how they lived. Everything pointed to them as being the authority, the supreme authority. Everything was geared towards them being exalted. Them making themselves out to be something that God had not called them to be. Look at what their doctrine has stated. Their doctrine has always pointed to works. So Paul is saying that for those who are falsely accusing me, he said, I am not lying. Because I'm telling you the truth. The phrase, my conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Spirit, means that the statements he is about to make have come from inspiration of the Holy Spirit here. 
The word conscious in the Greek means co-perception or moral consciousness. So in other words, Paul testified of the scriptures and he says he was satisfied within himself that what was given to him truly came from God. So Paul knew without a shadow of doubt that everything that he was speaking to the church, it came from God. Because again, when you, when you stand up and hear somebody deliver the word, what is the message coming across? If it's pointing you back to Christ, if it's pointing you to holiness and righteousness, if it's telling you that man within himself is incapable of being your savior, that man within his natural state is evil, and that there is only one that is good, and that is God, I mean, surely that should, that should be an indicator that what that person speaking is the truth. That if I come to you and I don't desire to take anything from you, but rather just to give you the gospel, why is it, why is it that you are bucking against it? Why is it that you are resisting it? If I come to you in uh, old raggedy clothes, but my message is lifting up Christ and trying to get to you to understand his righteousness, but you look at me because I don't have a fancy suit on and I don't have all these juries and I don't have a big church or my title isn't pastor so-and-so or bishop or apostle so-and-so, why is it then that you turn your face away from me? But you will go and turn your face towards people who look like those things and we are seeing the majority of them are, are teaching doctrines that are not biblical. But then the ones who stand up to preach the biblical doctrine, these are the ones who are being falsely accused of certain things and being attacked on every forefront. So the same thing that happened to Paul, we're seeing the same thing happen today. So Paul is saying, I within myself know that what I'm teaching has come from God, even though there are others who are falsely accusing me of otherwise, because there were so many people that didn't agree with what Paul was saying here. Um, but what Paul preached, it did not originate from his mind, because Paul knew that what he was speaking was objective truth, truth that cannot change. And he knew without a shadow of a doubt that that truth came from God, because when you put it up against all the accepted doctrines of that particular day and that mindset, all of those doctrines that pointed to man, you could, it, it was clearly identifiable that this could not have originated from his mind because if it did, he would have fell in line with all the others. You know, I've, I've given that example about the outliers before. And, and so that's why the Bible has always told us to test and try every spirit to see whether or not it be of God. That's all we're doing to see what are you saying? What is your message? If I came to you every single uh, Wednesday night and, 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 and I'm always begging you for, for something, for money or, or whatever it is, and, 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 and what I'm teaching you is always geared towards trying to take something from you, that should be a red flag. But if I come to you every single Wednesday night and, and, I'm, and I'm pointing you back to God and saying you should look to him, you should seek his face, you should seek to hear his voice, and whatever he tells you, you should be guided and directed. That as we're studying the scriptures together, you should be taking your notes, taking it back to God to say, has what he said been anointed by you? Is what, he's, is what he is saying is based upon truth. Give me greater understanding. Give me greater revelation of what was discussed tonight. If I'm pointing you in that direction, if I'm pointing you to Christ, if I'm saying look to Christ as we're breaking down these scriptures and, and trying to understand them, and I'm saying that when you go to sleep at night or when you take your rest and you in your, your private time to study, take what we have talked about, bring it before the Holy Spirit and ask him, is this the truth? Is what was said interpreted correctly? You know, you know, think about all of these different things. 
Don't get caught up in the hype and, and, and the music and the look, but rather look at what is being preached. That's the key. And so Paul is saying here, I know what I've said has come from God because look at the opposition against it. Look at how people are coming for my head all because of what I am preaching. Look at how everything that I'm saying can be cross-referenced through the scripture. And see, if those people who are falsely accusing him, well, if they were full of the Holy Spirit, then the Spirit would have testified within them that what he has said is true. But we know the majority of them were not after God's heart because they were so concerned with religious efforts. Because see, when you are faced with truth and, and you are truly following the Lord, when, when, when there is a false teaching that appears in your midst, the Holy Spirit will bear witness to that and let you know that what you have heard has not come from him. We, we can look throughout the entirety of the scripture where God is, has done, always done that for his people, where he has always warned them, where he has always said, don't go this direction. Don't listen to this message. Don't do this. Don't do that. But the reason why the people kept getting into those situations of hardships was through disobedience. But Paul was saying, wait a minute. I know what I'm saying has come from God. And, and, and he was convinced of that. Verse two, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. So Paul now begins to grieve over his nation. And, and you, you can hear many pastors today saying that their heart is grieving for our nation. And the reason why that is going on is because you can see your nation crumbling before your eyes because you know that the direction that your fellow countrymen are going in is only going to lead them to their destruction and the destruction of the nation as well. And, and so Paul began to grieve over what was happening in, in the midst of his people. He had great heaviness, which there was a great sorrow, pain and grief that he was experiencing. So this word heaviness, means to uh, it's been used to signify that one is in mourning because you know when you look at individuals and you see them going down the wrong path and and and, and you try your best to lead them in the right direction but they still make the decision to do what they're wanting to do you know the destruction that lies ahead so there there is a a, a heaviness that comes upon you and, and all of us shall be grieved. You know, when I look at what's going on in our world today, in our nation, I am grieved about what I'm seeing. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I was grieved when I saw that a man was killed on the highway simply because he was, he put on the washer fluid to wash his windshield as he's driving down the road. And, and some of the washer fluid fell on the car behind him. And the person in the car behind him got so angry, he first tried to drive them off the road. And when that didn't work and, they, and the person ended up stopping, the guy loops back around, pulls out a gun and kills the guy, shoots the man dead over some washer fluid. That grieved me to see this senseless act of violence over something as soap going on your windshield when there's so many different things that fall on your car as you're driving, that this person in front of you was not even thinking about you. All this man know was that his windshield was dirty and he just wanted to clean them as he's driving down the road. And it was 8.30 at night. And all of us have been on the road at night and we've got dirty windshields. So what happens when you're driving like that? You can't see. So you wanna make sure that you can see. 
But that grieved me to know like that man lost his life over that. And, and, and his, his um, significant other was, was relaying the story. And, 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 you know, she was so heartbroken. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the lawlessness, the wickedness that's all around us. So there is a heaviness. Like, God, how much longer must we endure? When I see people in the body of Christ arguing pastors, everybody's got all these different opinions. Everybody's trying to attack one another. All because we don't understand a particular passage of scripture. We're like savages towards each other. And yet we stand up and we say, I love the Lord. And you try to go minister to somebody and the church is in chaos. That, 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 that grieves me to see that because it is producing nothing good. So Paul looks at his fellow countrymen and he sees the state that they're in and this heaviness comes upon him. And then he said, and he had a continual sorrow in his heart. So he was consumed with grief. He was in essentially great anguish over the direction that his countrymen were going in. And, and, and we know this is to be true because the remaining scripture are going to prove this. Now, all of this is necessary for us to understand here because again, Paul starts off by talking about the, the, the message that he, he was preaching, the gospel message. Now think about how this scripture is flowing here. The scripture says Paul starts off by saying that he know for a fact that this gospel did not come from his own mind. And we, can, and we have learned that Paul was out preaching this very same gospel, trying to get people to turn away from their wicked direction. And in the course of that, he's being falsely accused. And then he looks and he sees the people not adhering to his gospel, the gospel message that he was preaching, and he see the direction that their wickedness is taking them. And he can clearly identify that the nation before him is crumbling. So it's like you have been telling people for so long that it's going to rain. Prepare yourself, get an umbrella. And you, and you see people blow you off time after time. And then all of a sudden, when that rain finally comes and you see them drenched and not able to do anything, you see them coughing because they got a cold. And you look, and you look at them and you'll say, all of that could have been avoided because I tried to warn you and you wouldn't listen. And now look what has happened. You, you know, it's it just like with anything, um, you know, you could be coaching a team and, and, and you know, I, I, I coach uh, Kennedy's team uh, along with my brother-in-law. And, uh, you know, you go through all of, all of the, the lessons with the kids. And when you see them out there on the basketball court and, and, and you can look at their opponent and how the opponent is taking advantage of them, you, you know what's going on. And so you call the timeout, you bring them in and, and you try to tell them, this is what the other team is doing. This is what you need to do in order to be successful. And then they go out there and they still do the same thing. You call another timeout and, and, and you try your best to get them to understand the game plan, to execute the game plan. You do everything that you possibly can without putting on the jersey to go out there in the game with them. You do everything you possibly can. And, and when you still see them going in that wrong, wrong direction, it is heartbreaking because you look at their suffering, you look at their anguish, you look at their frustration on the court, and you know that you have the answer. But for whatever reason, they just don't want to grab hold of it and execute it. That is, that's a hard thing. And that's all Paul is getting at, is that he is looking at the suffering of his people. 
And he is saying within himself, you did not have to go in this direction. And so he is grieved at what he is experiencing with them. Because in verse three, he says, for I wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, for my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So Paul uh, it, it makes this, this statement that, that seems crazy to some when he says that I wish I was a curse from Christ for my, for my brethren's sake. So Paul is saying if, if it were even possible, because he's looking at the, the hardship, if he was saying that if, if I could be a curse myself and, and, and that being a curse would cause them to, to, to turn away from where they're going, he says, I would do it. He says, I would transfer my salvation and I will be under a curse from them in order that they may be saved. Going back to my analogy with coaching the team, you know, I, I've been out there and I'm like, if I can put on this jersey for them and play this game for them, I would absolutely do it. But I know that's impossible. It's impossible because I'm an adult. You know, this is, these are kids. I can't put on this jersey and, and, and play against kids that I'm, that I'm 30 years older than. You know, that's an impossibility. But you think in that manner because you see the hardship and, and you're saying, like, I wish I can do something drastic to deliver them. So, so this shows the heart of the apostle. And we should also have this same heart as well. And Paul says that I wish I could transfer my salvation for them and come under a curse. But such a thought is impossible. And we know what the scripture says about this. But this just goes to show Paul's love for his people. And it was an expression that God has allowed us to see so that we can understand what was in this man's heart. So that we can, can, can identify with him. Because again, going back to us looking at our nation, we can identify with that. Where we see this great division that we're going in. You know, the, the racism is growing stronger and stronger. People are calling the evil things good and the good things evil. And, and, and we see the majority of the nation going in the direction that is leading them down the path of destruction. And, 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 and so we grieve for them. And, and, and we say, God, if there's, is there anything else if I can do? I would take their place. I, I would do anything if, if it would cause them to turn away from their wickedness. That's, that, that's, that's the care that we should have. And, and God has allowed us to see that so that we can know what, the, what true love is toward those who are going down the path of destruction. So this same drive for his people, Paul used this uh, towards everyone because his epistles bear this out. So look at, look at the heart and mind of, of the apostle, uh, always thinking about others. And, and again, we must be in that same position as well. So the phrase I, I, I could wish means in the Greek that such a thought was impossible and yet it was not meant to be entertained. But this was, this was just an expression that, that he displayed toward those that he loved, that he cared for. And, and if, you, if you love and care for somebody, you don't want to see them go down the wrong path. So when, so when I go outside and I'm interacting with everybody else, again, when the opportunity presents itself, I'm going to tell you about Christ. I'm always looking for that opportunity to tell you about Christ. And, and it's interesting because, especially when I go into like a place where there's a, a good crowd of people, maybe like a grocery store or something like that, I'm always looking and I'm always asking myself, how many of these people here are saved? Man, I wish that the opportunity would present itself where I could tell somebody about Christ or I can display a different attitude. I'll give you an example of this. Just um, this past weekend, we were out um, doing some shopping and 
we were in uh, Michael's and uh, we were walking out the store. This older gentleman was walking out as well. Kennedy took the shopping cart in, in, back in the store and the guy was getting all of his bags. And, you know, I was like, he's got a handful of bags. So I, I told him, I said, hey, I'll take your cart for you. And he said, oh, thank you. Have a great day. And, and then so I took the cart, gave it to Kennedy. And so we we're all walking out. He had his bags. And as we we're getting to the car, he, he yelled out one more time, thank you and have a, a great day. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And he was just smiling like he couldn't believe it. And, 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 and so that's my mindset to, to, to care for people that I don't even know. That when I see somebody in need, I step in to help them. And that's, the, again, the mindset that God wants us to have. Because that expression of me just taking this man's shopping cart and the look on his face showed that he couldn't believe it. That someone would show this act of kindness to a complete stranger. Not asking anything from him, you know, you know, not trying to take advantage of him, none of that. Just showing an act of kindness to show like, I don't even know you, but I can see that you had a need. And, and, and so I, I'm here to help you. And you know, he you could tell that he he was in, in a rush to get to where he was wanting to get to. And, and, but but that, that was all that the Lord led me to do. And, and, and it's that type of, of attitude that opens the door for witnessing. And, and, and again, that shows the heart that we all should have. And so Paul is, is bringing this out too again. And then looking at this phrase even further, when it talks about being a curse, it's anathema. And that simply means that Paul was saying, if it was even possible for me to experience the worst curse of all curses and to have the greatest woe against me, if, if, if I can trade what I have and experience that to save the life of, of my brethren, he says, I will do it. Again, that's that love, that care that Paul had and we should have as well. Um, so in essence, Paul was saying, if it was even possible for me to be eternally separated from Christ by me just exchanging this free gift for their deliverance, Paul said I would do it. That, that, that Even though that's extreme, but that just shows us where his heart was and where our heart should be as well. Paul knew that such a thing was impossible, but at least we can understand and know how much he loved his people. This is a burden and a love that Christ has shown all of us. And it is something that we must show others. And the church at large has missed this. And, and I can say this because, I mean, go on YouTube, look on the news, social media. It's all around us. The evidence is there. I mean, even in our, in our local assembly talking with people that we know. You know, I can't even tell you how many people that I've spoken to over the years that have said that the reason why they don't go to church is because, you know, church people were mean and nasty. They only want your money. And you got to do all of these different things just to be right. And there was a bunch of hypocrisy. And I'm talking about people who are up in age. 60s, 70s, 80s, saying these type of things. We don't want to be in that position. We don't, I mean, we don't want that to be something that is named among us. Again, Christ has shown us this, and we must show it to others as well. Verse number four, who are Israelites to whom pertains the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. The phrase, who are Israelites, is proved that the previous three verses are referring to Israel. It's amazing how, you know, over the years, people are saying that this wasn't what Paul was talking about. The phrase, to whom pertains the adoption, means that Israel was selected by God to be his peculiar people. 
I mean, Old Testament bears that out. And we know it was through the faith of Abraham that they came into existence, that God made the covenant, I should say, with Abraham, that his seed would be more than the sands of the seashore. And, and we see um, Jacob and his 12 sons and, and how that came into the nation of Israel. And so all of this was based upon the faith of, of one man. And, and as he led the example, others begin to walk after that example. So God says, because of the, their faith, the faith of one man, that's the covenant that he made. So he, he was chosen simply by his faith to be called righteous. And God would put his face toward this particular people that God would raise up for a specific purpose to not only bring the Messiah into the world, but to be the light to the Gentiles. The phrase and the glory means that Israel was the only nation to experience the presence of God. Because remember, the entirety of the world was in paganism that had corrupted the image and knowledge of God. So through the faith of Abraham, we see this nation, Israel, coming into existence in God's timing, that God then revealed himself to them in a greater light that they then were supposed to turn and be a light to the Gentiles. We see that throughout the Old Testament, and it made plain even more in the New. But God did experience, or God did rather, allow Israel to experience his divine presence. The name Israelite refers to those who are members of the theocracy and partakers of the privileges and promises God made to Israel. So again, this is all necessary because we, we can look from the first three verses that Paul was, was dealing with the rebellion of Israel, the very fact that many others were saying that he was false, being a false teacher you see your people going in the wrong direction, going down destruction and damnation. He's grieving over that. And, and he is saying like, my nation, my people were, were the ones that God revealed his glory and his presence to. That the promises God made to, 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 to us, his, his nation that he called out for a specific purpose. He is saying that you know, I'm, I'm, I'm appealing to you all that you remember how God has done us, how God has made promises to us, how God has been there for us. You got to remember that uh, we were partakers of his divine glory and promises. So all of this is pointing to the fact that they should have been in a better position that they were. And the Jew just speaks of their distinction from the Gentile, because we know there is neither Jew nor Greek, Gentile. That's all it is, just a distinction. The word theocracy in the Greek means the power of God, and it refers to Israel's relationship with God, which allowed them to have access to all the promises that he said. This is the very reason why they are partakers of God's glory. So think about it. He, again, just reminding them, like, you got to understand who you are. We are partakers of God's glory. God has brought us to an existence for a specific purpose. He set us aside. He gave us his law. He gave us his great promises. He, he is saying, like, remember, O Israel, who you are. Likewise, the church, we have to remember who we are in Christ. We're not supposed to be a people based upon divisions and bickering and all of these foolish things because those things do not profit us nothing. We have to remember who we are in Christ. Our nation has to remember who we are. Even though there is wickedness across the board on every place, we still have to know and remember who we are in God. That who we are serving, that who we are living for. That's what Paul is bringing out in the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. He's just saying, remember all of these things, who we are. Because again, like, like we just started off, Paul talked about 
what he gave was not based upon his own mindset. His conscience bear, bear witness to the fact that he was speaking the truth. And then because individuals did not want to adhere to what he was saying, his heart got heavy because he saw the direction they were going in. He's thinking to himself, they don't even realize who we truly, who they, who we are in God. They don't understand it anymore. They don't want it anymore. The promises, the covenant, God's glory, how we were adopted, how he gave us the law, how he turned his power, grace, and mercy towards us. He's looking and he says, my people don't want this anymore. I've got great sorrow in my heart. Then he says, like, if it was even possible for them to turn away, for me to help them to turn away, he says, I would even give up my salvation for them. That's how strong that he felt. And then he brings this out again, like, I'm talking to you, Israelites. I'm talking to you because the one that God had shown us his glory. He, he makes known who he is talking to and who he's speaking of. And that's important. Again, for us, the church today, we should do the same thing. Like I'm speaking out to the church, like get back to the word. The scripture says that the, the Holy Spirit is going to lead us into all truth. We understand that God has given pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets for the strengthening of the body. We understand that. We know that God moves upon the heart of individuals and calls people to certain offices for this distinct purpose of, of bringing strength and understanding to the body. But at the end of the day, we know that the Holy Spirit is there to lead us into all truth. We understand that we cannot stand in the full presence of God because of our nature and his nature. So God uses human beings as agents of his divine purpose and will. And, and so when we see people going in that wrong direction, yes, it should grieve us. Yes, we need to remind people, I'm reminding you, church, what the word of God says that we are, we are his bride. And he is our groom. We should be living our life like he can come back any moment. We need to live our life like the five wise virgins. We need to live our life displaying the love of Christ to others. We need to live our life standing for the truth, standing on the foundation that's in Christ. That within Christ, there is no division. There is no separation. There is no bickering. You know, we should walk in humility, in humbleness. We should understand that we are servants, that God is the one who exalts us. That it doesn't matter how we labor for him, that we're, but we're doing it because we love him. That we're storing up treasures in heaven and not here on this earth. That, we're, that we should not be concerned about building kingdoms here on this earth where we are, are considered to be gods among the people, where we're driving our fancy Rolls Royces and wearing million-dollar jewelries and all these crazy things that people got going on, and what we're speaking has no substance. It doesn't have an uh, eternal weight behind it, but rather it has a temporal weight behind it, and those things are going to perish. So why are we talking about uh, uh, being uh, so financially prosperous and all of these crazy things? Remember who we are. So you can see how we can look at what the Bible is revealing to us concerning Paul and then translate it to how we should be behaving and operating in these particular moments. Last verse of the night. Verse 5. It says, whose are the fathers and of whom are as concerning the flesh Christ came, who was over all God blessed forever. Amen. The phrase, whose are the fathers is referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These three men believe in God, what, what God told them, uh, even though at times they failed the Lord, they still believe what God told them. And because of their consistency in, in their faith, they gave up everything in order that their lives would be used for God's glory. 
So Paul is saying, remember the example of our fathers. Because you can see the context of it. They had turned away. They had forgotten who they were. And many have turned away and forgotten who they were. That's why we got all this foolishness going on. So Paul is saying, remember our fathers. Remember their consistency. Look at how they gave up everything. Notice that's the opposite of what we're seeing today. The message today is, is that we need to gain everything. We need to gain as, as much power and wealth as, as one could possibly gain and live a life of luxury. That's the opposite. And Paul is saying, remember who our fathers were. Look at how they lived. I got a quote here in the Bible study notes from theologian Denny, and he said of this particular phrase, he said, the greatest of, the, of his ancestries in noble Israel and made his position in Paul's time harder to understand and to endure. Who could think without the keenest pain of the sons of such fathers, forfeiting everything for which the fathers have been called? So what does that mean? In other words, he was saying, who would fathom the day when the descendants of these great men of God would give up their inheritance that God had called them to. So Paul is looking at his people willingly giving up the inheritance that God had gave them. And there are so many today are willfully giving up the inheritance that God has promised us because they want the earthly pleasures. No one wants to suffer. That's why you see all of these, these pastors on, on, on TV, YouTube, and all of these social medias flashing all of these things. None of them want to suffer. They're willfully giving up the inheritance. We see in this phrase that every generation must be connected to God because if they do not stay connected to God, everything that precedes them will not manifest in their present generation. Now, it doesn't mean that the faith of those that have gone before them has been in vain, but rather that the society will come about without knowing God, and we see that. So Paul is, is realizing the direction that they're going in, and he knows that there's going to be a generation that will not know God, and that grieves him. And we are seeing that today. Pray for a good family friend concerning issues going on with their family. And it is just the mindset of the world today that we have people trying to change what God has created. And, and what they're speaking into the, the children's mind at such a young age is that you are not who God created you to be. You can be whatever it is that you want to be. And, and, and we're telling them to really define who they are in their own image and what they see it as. And what is happening is, is that because that, that voice has been constantly echoing and, and, and people not wanting to face the confrontation and speak up for truth, that, that ungodly voice has now overtaken the nation. And so we have a, a society of people that have been raised up under the, 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 the influence, the seduction of that demonic voice and now the society is growing up that does not know our God. And so for us who remain, we are pouring into our children and we are standing up for righteousness. And what is happening is the persecution is coming. And many have been told over and over again in the church that nothing is going to happen. And so they shy away from the persecution. And because they don't want it, they now conform. And they 
willfully give up their inheritance. The phrase, and of whom is concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, is meant to tell us that Israel had a distinction above all nations. The word Christ is the word that refers to Messiah. In essence, it means the anointed. Christ as the Messiah came out of Israel, but he is Lord over all of creation. So the message you see Paul is saying, you have forgotten your fathers. Not realizing that we were raised for a distinct purpose. How is the Messiah? He has now come. He is Lord over all. And he is blessed forever. Amen. So when we think about everything that I've said tonight, it's hidden home. And it's not by accident that the words of the apostle concerning his people can be related to today's time. And so we must continue to stand. We must continue to pray and seek God's face. And as we're praying and seeking his face, we must have the ear to hear the instructions. Because what, what, I, don't real, what I don't understand about people is, is that they feel like I pray and I sit down and I do nothing. But when you open up the Bible, God is always giving instructions for his people to do something. Because again, this is how we function in the earth realm. So yes, we, we pray and we seek God's face. And as we're praying, the Holy Spirit will then begin to tell us the heart of God. And again, we know his voice. We should know his voice because we spend time with him. And, and everything that we know we're hearing within our spirit, we know it's from God because it's going to point us to righteousness. It's going to lift up Christ. It's going to point us every single time back to the word. It is always going to call out unrighteousness, sin, wickedness, evil, and it's always going to give us a righteous plan that is designed to deal with evil get victory, and see God glorified. So if you're sitting around and you're praying and, and, and you're wondering, God, where do I need to go? And you start hearing this voice telling you, oh, you need to be a drunk. You go over there and, and take some drugs in order to win the drunk and, the, and, and the, the person who's addicted. That's the only way. If you start hearing things like that, that's not of God. Because it's, it's a voice that's trying to point you to doing unrighteous things. It's, it's, it's a voice that's trying to place the onus on you being strong in your flesh to overcome. This is how you tell the difference of God speaking to you and the powers of darkness that's all around us. But the more you spin away from God, the more the powers of darkness voice is going to be appealing to you, just like in the garden. So we we learn from tonight that Paul was grieving over his people, that he saw them going down a, a, a wicked path. And then he appeals that they turn from their wickedness. He says, if it was even possible for me to give my salvation for them to turn them away, he says, I would do it. I know that's an impossibility, but just to show you that his heart was there for them. He begins to outlay uh, to the, 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 the nation of who they are in Christ knowing that they are servants of Christ. And he is the one who was blessed forever. So we look at these, these scriptures, we can, we can clearly understand that, hey, the same thing's going on with us, and we should have that same heart that the apostle poured out in the first five verses. I hope that you've enjoyed tonight's Bible study, as I sure have. I tell you, God is powerful. He is awesome, and he is doing some great and mighty things. We just got to be attuned to his voice and spending more time with him. On our next week's study, we're going to look at Romans chapter 9, looking at verses 6 through 10. And uh, uh, we're going to get in even to more 
of what Paul says about the word of God and what's going on with the heart of Israel. And all of these verses that we're going to look at from the time we finish out our study in chapter nine, we can relate them to exactly what it is that we're dealing with in our present time. So we've got our website on the screen. If you so desire to go check us out, as well as our Facebook page, go to the ktwnow.org uh, backslash book of Romans. Get the Bible study notes that we're, we're, we're uh, teaching off of. Just go and download and share with others, as many people as you want to. Um, I know that you're going to be blessed if you take advantage of that. Also, check out the podcast we got going on. Listen to some of our uh, teachings that we have here on our podcast. Uh, I know that you are going to be blessed. So I enjoyed tonight's Bible study. I hope that you've enjoyed it as well. But before I go, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you this evening for this great study in your word. I pray that something was said to bless your people, to bring them to knowledge and understanding of what you have outlined in your scripture. May revelation, knowledge, and understanding come unto your people. Oh God, may you bless them, lead them, and cover us and our families as we depart from this Bible study, but never from your presence. We tell you, thank you, and ask it all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. Thank you all for your attention. And God willing, I'll see you back here on next week. Be blessed in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.